Rick, where'd you get a hand grenade? I don't know. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. May the force be with you. Here's Johnny! You're gonna need a bigger boat. What was it you said to me before? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. You know what? I'm not leaving. I'm not fucking leaving! The price is wrong, bitch. And here we go. Welcome back to Pause for Dramatic Effect. I am your host, Sean, and we've got some catching up to do. I've been away the last couple of weeks on holidays, and during that time, there have been a few movies that we missed. So I thought that instead of doing full-length episodes over the next couple of days, we're just going to be trying to knock out a couple of quick reviews for you and cover what we missed while I was away. So no segments, no foolies, no bullshit, just reviews. So without making you wait any longer... The first review that we're going to do is what I think was the best movie that I've seen so far this year, Bad Times at the El Royale. I think there have been some incredible movies this year um, in terms of standing out in their specific genres. It's like since we started the podcast, we've talked about how the latest Mission Impossible was the damn near perfect action film, how... Christopher Robin was just this walk down memory lane and it was amazing. Avengers, Black Panther, Deadpool 2, The Incredibles 2, they all exceeded expectations. Um, Crazy Rich Asians was the most successful rom-com in a decade. And as far as horror movies go, the standout for me this year has been A Quiet Place. But you know that feeling that you get when you walk out of a movie and you're still just spilling over it in your head? And it's not as if you didn't understand it. It's just that five minutes between the theater and your car and you're just thinking about it in the most satisfied and content way possible. You've got no criticisms. There's nothing to complain about or to make fun of with your friends. There were things that I was shocked by in the movie but never disappointed in. There were questions I still had at the end but I wasn't mad that they were unanswered. I, I went in expecting one thing and I think I walked out with something better which just left an impression with me for this movie. It's not the type of movie stylistically that would usually get an award nomination and obviously every movie buff knows that the best time of the year for films is between December and March when the best movies are strategically timed to come out close to the Oscars so they're fresh in the mind of everyone voting. So it's too early to tell yet but of everyone that I've spoken to since seeing this movie, I haven't heard a disagreement so far that Bad Times at the El Royale is right up there with the best of 2018. So let me set the scene for you. It's not a story about any one person and the movie doesn't have a clear protagonist. It's about the paths of different people colliding in one place, the El Royale Hotel. Set in 1969, the El Royale is an establishment located right along the state border between California and Nevada, half in one state, half in the other. The hotel is past its prime and it's in its off-season, and its only guests are this ragtag group of characters seemingly thrown together. A priest, a hippie, a vacuum salesman, and a singer, and the hotel is being overseen by one timid manager. It quickly becomes apparent that the hotel has some sinister secrets, including a hallway running behind each of the rooms and a two-way mirror to spy on the activities of the guests. 
After this discovery, we soon learn that each of the guests has some secrets of their own. And as all of the stories begin to unravel and collide together, everything is thrown into deeper and deeper chaos. Now, like I said at the start, this is a short episode. So from this point on, I'm going to be rattling off some spoilers. I assume that everyone has seen the movie so far, but if you haven't, you can probably catch it in the cinemas for about another week. And seriously, I can't recommend that highly enough. For those of you that have seen the movie, stick around for a few more minutes because we'll be discussing what happens in the rest of the film and what I really liked about it. So the opening sequence starring Nick Offerman sets the scene for pretty much the entire movie. It's this well-executed ode to the noir genre. A man wearing a suit and carrying a briefcase walks into this motel room on a rainy night. He then begins to take apart the hotel room. He moves the bed, he pulls up the carpet, he pulls up the floorboards, and he hides this briefcase underneath before putting everything back the way it was. He then sits there listening to the radio for a little while, seems as though he's waiting for someone. Then there's a knock at the door, he opens it, seems to know the person because he turns around and begins to walk back into the room and then the person shoots him in the back and he dies. And it's all done in this one singular long shot that lasts about five minutes. And that's how the whole movie runs for me. It's a little slow at times, but there's never a mistake. Every glance, every shot, every nuance means something and you're never bored with any of it. Also, the casting in this film is absolutely awesome. Jeff Bridges, John Hamm, Dakota Johnson, Cynthia Erivo, Lewis Pullman, and Chris Hemsworth all bring a weight to their roles that, that goes further than the story that's on the screen, which is really important for a movie that is so character-driven and detailed in telling the backstories of each of the characters. So the movie breaks itself up between scenes, championing a new character between each break, where you learn more about their backstory, their secrets, and what led them to the hotel. So, just like in the movie, we're going to go through each of the characters one by one. Let's start with the priest. The film cuts straight from the opening scene of Nick Offerman being killed by a shady character in the doorway to a shot of this priest standing in the parking lot looking at the hotel room, leading you to think that it might be the same person. But then as the story unfolds, you discover that the priest is actually the brother of the man that was killed in the opening scene. After a heist went wrong, he spent the last 10 years in prison and he's now coming to collect the money that his brother hid in one of the hotel rooms, which leads you to him interacting with the singer. Now, when you break the movie down and look at the conventional good and bad archetypes, it becomes easier to see that the singer is the good guy or the primary protagonist in this film. But it's difficult to see that until the end. You don't really see it because of how many twists and turns there are in the movie, everyone has something to hide. So through the movie, I was just waiting for something like that to happen with this character, but it never does. She's the only truly good character in the film. You see the singer's backstory and you find out that she's just this struggling artist that's trying to make it, but she goes through the whole process while trying to maintain her dignity. She doesn't have any secrets. She doesn't lie. She 
is the only truly good character in the film. And it's logical that the film should tie off with her getting the money and walking away from the hotel, given that all the other characters have these secrets in their backstories that they may not be as good people as you thought they were. Um, but really, you never know where it's going. Once a movie kills off an FBI agent that up until that point had the majority of the screen time, all bets are off. It could have gone in any direction. Chris Hemsworth could have killed everyone and walked out with the money with his cult, and I still would have been happy with the ending, honestly. Next, we've got the hippie. All you get from Dakota Johnson throughout this movie is a fuck you vibe. You get another character mislead with the premise that she has kidnapped a girl and is holding her hostage intending to torture her. What you actually get is a sister that's trying to rescue her own kin from the clutches of this madman and will kill anyone who gets in her way. A redeemable quality that leaves you feeling conflicted about the character in relation to the others. See, the thing about telling the backstories of each of the characters so heavily is that Conflict can arise between two different characters that both have good and bad qualities. And because you have the knowledge that most movies don't let you see, not everything is black and white. And you can feel that conflict arise in you as you struggle with what you think will happen to any of these characters that you can identify with. And the hippie is a perfect example of this. Next, we've got the vacuum salesman slash FBI agent. So John Hamm's character in the film is basically a plot device, a very, very, very well-acted plot device. He introduces all of the characters to each other in the lobby of the hotel, goes to his room, reveals that he is an FBI agent, discovers the back room and the two-way mirrors, and then tries to stop what he thinks is a kidnapping and torture session executed by Dakota Johnson's character, and he dies in the process. So basically, he introduces the audience to everything that they need to know that's important to the plot of the movie, and then his character has no further use. But given how heavily he featured... At the start of the film, it's something that the audience doesn't expect that he's going to die, and it leaves you wondering where the movie goes from there. I reckon that it's an awesome twist. I personally love it when main characters get killed off like that, as long as it serves a purpose and the plot following their death continues to escalate, which is what I think this movie did really well. Next, you've got the cult leader. I never thought that Chris Hemsworth was going to be able to pull off such a hateable character. It's a role that required a crazy amount of charisma, and I think that there are only a few people in Hollywood that really have the ability to showcase charisma like that in such a negative way. The kicker, though, is that the character had to be really good-looking to showcase how he was able to physically manipulate all of these people in his cult, and make absolutely no mistake about it, Chris Hemsworth is really good looking in this movie. The scenes where he's walking up to the hotel in the rain and dancing to the music in the lobby left pretty little doubt in my mind that I would jump ship for this guy. The storyline for his character and cult 
is without a doubt based off of that of Charles Manson, the notorious Californian cult leader in the 60s. The way in which he influences people and the murder of a famous Hollywood couple by the members of his cult in the film are in line with the actions and the timing of the real-life cult leader, and the on-screen adaptation of that made me want to learn more about Charles Manson and his cult. In fact, this entire movie made me far more interested in this period of time in general. Finally, you've got the hotel manager, a socially awkward, child-looking, anxiety-riddled mess of a man. Miles, the hotel manager, is another one of those characters that you have conflicted emotions about when you see his backstory. On the one hand, he's employed by this hotel to spy on the guests in order to blackmail them for what you can only assume is either money or political gain. But on the other, he feels regret over it and he turns to heroin to help him cope with what he's done. When he meets the priest, he wants to repent and confess his sins as he fears that what he's done will damn his soul. So even though he works for the establishment that's the cause of all the chaos through the film, you can't help but feel sorry for the somewhat pathetic way that he acts. Then, out of absolutely nowhere, this guy enters full boss mode, flashes back to when he was a sniper in the Vietnam War, and in the climax of the film, kills literally everyone in the hotel in the most clinical and emotionless way possible. It's fucking awesome. Now, I've heard people say that it was a bit of a cop-out to just turn that character into this badass sharpshooter that can just solve all of their problems for them. And maybe it's just that war movies are my favorite genre of film, which is something else to unpack on a completely different episode. And Vietnam war movies are my favorite within that genre. But I absolutely loved this twist in the movie. It shows you that Miles isn't just worried about his soul because of the hotel. He's been exploited and manipulated his entire life and he's never forgotten the things he saw or that he did in the war. And on top of that, it gives this insane action-packed climax to a movie that has been building for two and a half hours and then just suddenly explodes into a fiery rampage of awesomeness. What I really like about this movie and what I mentioned before is that you don't really have an idea of who the protagonist is supposed to be. All of the characters have done things in their past and have secrets, but they also have redeemable qualities. So you don't know who the protagonist is supposed to be. You don't have an idea of who you're supposed to be rooting for, and it keeps you on edge throughout the film. And it, it leaves you more interested in all of the characters rather than just following one. Then Chris Hemsworth character shows up and you're like, well, I don't give a shit who the protagonist is supposed to be anymore. I just fucking hate this guy. And for such a charismatic and likable guy in real life, I didn't think that I would hate him as much as I did. The scene where it's building up to the climax of the film, where his character is deciding who lives and dies by playing a game of roulette, shows you how his character thinks that he's God. And his performance really brings a weight to the role that after watching an entire movie where you don't know what's going to happen, you don't know who you want to win, who you want to lose, it brings everyone together and it just turns all of the other characters into the protagonists of the film and you, you unanimously hate this guy and you want him to die. And 
for Chris Hemsworth to be able to tie the entire film together like that, I thought was absolutely brilliant. Another area of the movie that I absolutely loved is the secret sex tape. The idea of the secret sex tape and never answering who's on it was awesome for me. It adds an element of intrigue to the film and you have fun going over it in your head after you've finished watching it. I found myself going back through history, revisiting the 60s, learning more about the time and trying to figure out who was on the tape. A lot of people's initial reactions were that it was JFK based on the pictures on the wall of the hotel of him and Marilyn Monroe. But a little bit of research dispels that straight away. The film takes place in 1969. Miles only got the job at the hotel once he came back from the Vietnam War. And he states in the film that the person who's on the tape that he had kept was either in the hotel the previous year or had been killed the previous year. I can't remember the exact line. But JFK was assassinated in 1963, so it's impossible that he could have been killed or in the hotel in 1968. Some people have said that the timeline lines up more closely with that of Martin Luther King, who it is known had um, different extramarital affairs. But Miles also states in the movie that the person on the tape was a senator, so that rules him out. From what I've read on the God's Gift to Earth that is Reddit, the closest candidate that fits the description and the timing of the film is Bobby Kennedy. And as part of the extremely public Kennedy family, this would have been a huge revelation for everyone as well. But overall, it doesn't matter. The tape served a purpose in the film in further developing the plotline and the character arcs. And the pull of guessing who was on it was enough to keep the audience invested in it until it no longer served a purpose. And by the time the tape is cast aside, the audience still has so much to process from the climax of the previous scene that they don't care as much anymore. Overall, I think that Drew Goddard, who's directed such movies as Cloverfield, The Martian, and The Cabin in the Woods, masterfully brings this genre of film noir to a new generation, and I overall could not be more pleased with it. Overall, I'm going to give this movie a rating of 8.5, and as of right now, for me, it's the movie to beat for the rest of the year. On the next episode, we're going to be doing another quick review of Bradley Cooper's directorial debut, A Star Is Born. So I'll talk to you again very soon, but as for now, thank you for listening. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.